Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. Ah. Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. Today we're going to talk NBA futures markets, talk about some of the repercussions outside of some completed trades and some rumored trades. And we're going to close off talking some NBA draft and uh, some, some baseball, which we haven't talked about in a while. And then also look ahead to the Open Championship. But let's start off with the NBA. Uh, and we haven't talked about this on the show yet, but Bradley Beal getting traded to the Phoenix Suns for Chris Paul and Landry Shannon and some seconds. Uh, I think I'm in the minority uh, in actually quite liking this trade for Phoenix, um, at least relatively. But what did you make of it and, and how it shortened their title odds? Yeah, I think I can't fault them. Um, the way that the CBA unfolded after they made the Kevin Durant move, this was, you know, this was the next logical thing. Um, per, you know, what they gave up to get him was a steal. It was a heist. Would not have been possible without uh, Bradley Beal having a trade exception, which gave him a lot more of the power in this negotiation than the Wizards had. Um, and so it's, you know, they, they, they got it. They got him for a bargain. They needed to do it considering that, you know, the way that they sort of set up their team and the assets they gave up for Kevin Durant. And so I guess in the context of did the are the Suns doing right by the franchise? Yes. Does this move the needle for me in terms of Suns win share equity for the Western Conference? Not really. Um, they may ultimately be a bet at some point during the regular season if they can figure some things out, if they can find some good role players, if they can kind of work, if they can come up with an above, you know, Mendoza line defense, um, they may be a bet, but I don't think it's going to be perfectly smooth considering you're now, you know, integrating an entirely, you know, a a little bit of a a set of misfit superstar parts together with some deficiencies defensively in a new coach. Like, I don't know that between, Opening, opening tip and Christmas, you're going to miss the boat on the Suns, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think with Beal, I get that he's got a, obviously a terrible contract. He's His skill set is very reductive. He's probably the closest facsimile there is in the league to Devin Booker. <laughs> yeah. um, at everything. Um, yeah. Devin Booker. At the same time, like the Suns didn't have any financial flexibility anyway. So in terms of the contract, well, that's just Matt Ishbia's money. So what does anyone care about that for? And then 
I think the other thing is like, is Bradley Beal better than Chris Paul and Landry Shamet for next season? Like, yes, almost certainly. Uh, so I think that it helps the Suns' chances of, of winning the title. I don't think it, yeah, I don't think it moves the needle massively, but they, I think they are better, especially when it looked like it was in play that they might just lose Chris Paul for nothing and just wave him. And now instead of doing that, now they have Bradley Beal. Yeah. I think that this price is poison, though. It's <laughs> with the West. I don't really understand yeah. the pricing in these out in either of the conference outrights, and we'll get into the East. But I think Denver's price is about fair, plus two thirty. You wouldn't be rushing to back that, but I think that's about fair. Uh, I'm in the minority on this, but I think like right there with Phoenix should be the Lakers and the Grizzlies, where the mm-hmm. Lakers have some flexibility to make another move and. I don't think people realize like LeBron last year was like 29, 8, and 7 on great efficiency, playing great defense. Like, yes, he's going to be 39, but even if he falls off 10%, still all world. And then Anthony Davis, when he was healthy, which is obviously the caveat there, he was playing at like a top five player in the league level. Reeves is really good. Rui seemed to figure something out in the playoffs. And so I, I don't know. I think the Lakers, especially if they can get Paul, uh, then all of a sudden, I think I think with Chris Paul, I think the Lakers are the second best team uh, in the West. And then the Grizzlies, like the Grizzlies were just a two seed. They were right at the top of favoritism for the Western Conference all season. They're young. Bain played the whole season with a busted toe. Uh, Jaron Jackson made huge leaps on offense. They lost Brandon Clark and Stephen Adams. Those guys come back. And then Jar's only gone 25 games. That might even get reduced. But the thing is with the Grizz, which I don't think gets baked into these odds enough, is they have all of their picks. They have all of their assets. Dylan Brooks is gone. Like they are going to make a move and they're going to be better. So the way that you should think of the Grizz is not as the team that they are right now. It's the team they are right now with an additional really useful player, which is, you know, I would like a 75% chance to materialize and just be on the team um, come playoff time. So I think the Lakers and the Grizz at 8-1 to and 12-1 to are both bets. Um, what do you think of those teams? I don't. I can't make a strong argument against. Um, I agree with you that the Lakers are putting together something cool. I agree with you that the Grizzlies are underpriced at 12-1. to um, I think they should be kind of in that, that tier around uh, six to eight. Um, And, you know, the, the point you make about the Grizzlies, which is interesting to me is that there's like, there are guys available like OG Ananobi who are kind of perfect plug and play to replace Dylan Brooks. And if they pull that off, then I'm going to be pretty, you know, gung ho Grizz team Grizz this season. Um, But ultimately it, does feel a little transitiony. You know, a lot of the players were, you know, a lot of the players at the top of this board um, for the Suns, for the Warriors, for the Lakers, for the Clippers are on the decline. They're into their 30s, some of them into their late 30s. And I think realistically expecting them to have a healthy full season and be kind of in the mix for a top seed in the West is asking a lot. I think if you want to try to capture value in the futures market right now, I'm inclined to make a case for the Thunder at 60 to 1. That they could shock the world and get a two seed in the West. Would that surprise you at all, Jay? 
Regular season, no. Uh, two seeds. Uh, I mean, I think it's in play. I think definitely they could be a home court advantage team just because they have so much upside. Like Giddy is going to be a most improved player candidate. It could Shea be, you know, like like Shea finished like fifth in MVP this year, didn't he? Like if he was yeah. a top three MVP candidate, I think that's viable. Yeah. Chet could be super helpful from the get-go. Jay Dub has another gear to get through. It's just, it's so hard to get through four playoff series and actually win the sure. West. But I think certainly, like, I will be probably betting a lot of the regular season alts overs for the Thunder. And also, like, if they want to go and get, you know, Paul George or, like, whoever the star is that becomes available during the season, like, they have more assets than anyone. So that is, yeah, it's just are they are they there right now? Like, it doesn't seem like it. But at the same time, like... Two years ago, the Grizz didn't seem there at all, and they had home court in the second round of the Western Conference, and they may have yeah. won that series if Jar didn't get hurt. So, yeah, I mean, teams can make leaps ahead of schedule, so I don't, yeah. I don't mind the Thunder. I kind of like, I mean, the the case for the Thunder over a lot of the teams that we've talked about is just that all of the important pieces on that team are ascending. They're yep. going to be young and healthy. They're going to play a lot of basketball during the regular season. They're going to win more games than anyone expects. Um, and they, I mean, they seem to have a bona fide star in Shea Gildas Alexander. Yep. No, I, I don't mind that. Uh, I think like the Warriors, uh, who are plus 650, I wouldn't touch that. Like, I don't understand why the Warriors would be better next season unless Jordan Poole uh, figures whatever ailed him, uh, if he figures that out next season. But I mean, the Warriors, like, it's a disgrace that the Warriors went seven <laughs> against the Kings and then got absolutely obliterated by the Lakers in in game six and and that series. I mean, to, to lose, to play the way they did in the playoffs, backing up a regular season where, what, they won 44 games or something in that range. So I don't have any inclination to bet the Warriors with or without Draymond Green. Uh, I mean, yeah, they'll be scary, I guess, but I think that they're they're on the other side well and truly, and I would put them below the Lakers and the Grizz, and I'm not sure like they're materially more likely than teams like the Clippers even to win the title. Um, so, yeah, no interest for me in, in the Warriors. Any for you? No, uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. Um, my uh, former classmate, Mike Dunleavy Jr., <laughs> Taken over as the uh, the GM is pretty wild. Uh, if you had told me that's the future GM when we were in school, I would have laughed at you. Um, but uh, he's he's acquitted himself well in the front offices there, and you know moved into that role. And he's got the toughest test right out of the gate: figure out a way to bring Draymond back into the fold. Because Draymond Green leaves this team, all of a sudden you now have meaningful um, Achilles heel type stuff with your defense. And uh, as you know, as 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 strong as Kevon Looney has taken a step forward, uh, a lot of your other important pieces are taking steps backwards, and uh, it's a little bit spooky uh, how you kind of now populate a team of like sort of you know young projects coached by Steve Kerr kind of anchored with Steph Curry as, you know, you're only kind of bona fide. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a wild roller coaster for the Warriors this season. Um, they got a little ambitious 
they tried to, you know, to go from dynasty to dynasty. And then it was not, uh, you know, not a clean transition. We knew it was going to be very, very difficult and impossible. Uh, and surely uh, if the cost of trying to accomplish this is losing Draymond Green, then uh, ultimately I think that's sort of a, a stain on sort of the, the end of a, what was an impossibly great regime for Bob Myers. Yeah. Yeah, and just not much, not much upside left, and not many mechanics to even make a move and and change the team. The only real hope there, I think, is that Jordan Poole becomes the guy he looked like he was going to be, you know, fifteen months ago, uh, and that's where the upside comes from. And that doesn't seem like a great thing to count on right now. Let's uh, talk about Damian Lillard, who is allegedly going wants to stay in Portland uh, as he has for the past decade or so. Uh, this is a really interesting one just from a pricing perspective where we were talking about it before the show, but now that Scoot Henderson is a heavy favorite to go three, if Scoot is actually, if he is drafted by Portland, the moment that happens, and even like right now, the Miami Heat's championship odds should shorten because it just seems so implausible that Dame is going to finish the season on a Blazers team that has... Shaden Sharp and Fernie Simons and Scoot Henderson, all all part of the team. Like at that point, they're not going to be a meaningful team in the West this season. I'm not sure how else they can upgrade that team to contention if Scoot is the pick there. So, and and then you're playing a bit of a guessing game with trade candidates, but like it doesn't really make sense to me for the Nets to try and trade everything for Damian Lillard so that they can get a four seed doesn't really make sense i think for the pelicans necessarily like they're the other team with a lot of assets um and so the heat just continue to make the most sense uh and if you have dame butler and bam i think that just makes you the favorite in the east i think that makes you better than boston you probably keep caleb martin and uh and then that you just figure it out after that so uh, yeah, that's kind of my read at the moment. This Eastern Conference odds board, I don't understand how Milwaukee's the favorite. Um, to me, that's great. They should be closer to Philadelphia, Miami range. But what do you what do you make of Dame and what do you make of uh, that heat call? Yeah, I will be I will be fundamentally shocked if we get to opening tip on the season and the Bucks are still the favorite. I don't think it's, it's coming. Um, too much, way, 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 way too much uh, uncertainty about the future of that roster nobody seems to want to go and play there for whatever it's worth um so they're gonna have to get it done with uh you know kind of in the they sh- they need to sort of embrace the heat mentality in terms of you know developing grinders to put around Giannis. i don't think that realistically they're going to be able to kind of compile a big three big four type of uh type of roster for whatever reason um brooke lopez looks likely to leave um, in my opinion, I think he's going west. Uh, and then uh, Chris Middleton, the injury status, and you know what they have there as far as an asset and his decline combined with injury risk uh, is enough for me to say that the Bucks are really a one man team at this point, one and a half man team if you want to include Drew Holiday, who also is kind of getting up there. So yeah, I, I agree. The Bucks are going to slide. Uh, your point about uh, Dame Lillard going to the Heat is fascinating. I had not thought this through, but. Um, you know, th- without question, the um, sort of the the dance that has been going on publicly during this draft run up, and in particular, sort of what's happened in the last forty eight hours, where um, you know, pretty clearly, uh, at least for now, the Hornets seem 
to have made up their mind that they're taking Brandon Miller and that Scoot Henderson will be available at three. Um, we know that there were deals out there for the likes of the Pelicans. We know there were deals out there from other teams who, you know, who want Scoot Henderson, who would give up players to do that. But I don't think they're getting enough, you know, of a quality enough player on the way back to, to truly contend. Um, so it seems like the Blazers want to sit on their hands, tell Dame Lillard, we tried, we couldn't get who we wanted, so we took Scoot, and then hope that you know Lillard then says, okay, thanks for trying, now trade me. Because I feel like the Blazers don't want to be the bad guys in this situation. They don't want to make the decision. They want, uh, they want it to come from Dame. And that's fine. Like I respect that. Um, but that seems pretty clearly what they're trying to do right now. Uh, and then, you know, where does he go? He does make the most sense, I think, by far. Uh, and that does launch them into clear top tier uh, in the, um, you know, in the Eastern Conference. Also fascinated to see what the Celtics do. Celtics have a lot of flexibility, a lot of moving parts. They're probably going to lose Al Horford, almost certainly. They may move Jalen Brown, uh, which I know sounds crazy to say out loud, but for whatever reason, they're ready to kind of find a new potential, uh, you know, you know, second banana uh to put with the you know jason tatum okay um so yeah interesting to see how that roster ultimately changes heading into next season um and uh you know sixers are you know an Embiid injury away from being just complete non-contenders next year so i don't think you could take them seriously so i agree with you uh scoot henderson gets drafted got some heat futures load up on the hate yeah i the east is kind of terrible uh which is weird to say the three best teams by record this season and like the three alleged behemoths coming into the playoffs were boston milwaukee and philadelphia you just look down the list like it seems like there's only four teams who can realistically win the east and those three and miami cleveland maybe but i mean cleveland just got waxed by a Knicks team that was injured and then got destroyed by a Heat team that had a limping Jimmy Butler and was shooting like 30% from three. Like the Cavs, that Cavs playoff series was an absolute disaster. Jared Allen looked like a sub-replacement level player. He just got absolutely annihilated. So, And they don't really have many mechanics to get better either. And so unless Evan Mobley turns into a you know a second-team All-NBA player, which is viable, like that's on the cards. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, so that that would be the avenue there. Um, but still, Mobley, like a second team All NBA, Mobley with Allen, uh, with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, and then kind of a reductive skill set of Jaron Allen in the playoffs. Like I don't really think that that not much depth or ways to get really quality depth around them. Like I'm not sure that's a better team than than Boston or Philadelphia. Maybe. I mean, at this point, if you're parking a tiny amount of cash on an insanely stupid price. Isn't it magic at two fifty to one? <laughs> I mean, if the East is bad, could they not get a top four seed? Uh, yeah, again, this would be something again where I think that, like, if they signed Fred Van Vliet or something, that then it would be the regular season stuff. It's just like Paolo's not going to win the East in year two, I don't think, with Wendell Carter and Franz Wagner and Fred Van Vliet. Like, I think that <laughs> I think that regular season stuff, just like last year, I love the magic regular season stuff, didn't come home. But no. I think, yeah, yeah they're going to be they're going to be a fun team. All right. Reminder to download the Roto World app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in the App Store today. 
still shaken up by this Orlando Magic to win the Eastern Conference. Come on. <laughs> well, this is it. They're priced at the same price as the Hornets and below the Wizards. What? Yeah, they're more likely. <laughs> that's than nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. I, I agree that that's silly. All right. <laughs> uh, first overall pick odds, that's Vector Wenbanyama. Second overall pick seems to have materialized between, uh, behind Brandon Miller. This has been a strange market. I was talking to some friends, and I think that uh, if Woj hadn't gotten Paolo wrong last year, that Brandon Miller might have shortened a lot more. I think there's just a lot of skepticism around newsbreakers and the draft after last year. So it seems like it's going to be Brandon Miller too, and then Scoot Henderson will certainly go third. Uh, if you are wanting to bet on Brandon Miller, uh, you're probably going to get just a better price doing that by just betting the one, two, three exacta of Wemby, then Miller, then Scoot, because Scoot will go 30, so I'm going to go past there. And then the fourth overall pick seems like it's going to be Eamon Thompson. And then the fifth overall pick is where it starts to get a little bit wonky, where Jarris Walker, Cam Whitmore are the two favorites. Osar Thompson is around. Uh, and then there's a range of long shots as well. Any, any weirdness you think might creep into the top five? Yeah, I think fourth and fifth are completely uh, wide open right now because I don't think that either of those teams wants to make those picks. Uh, I think they would much. I think, I think effectively the whiff I get from everyone who lost out on the Wemby sweepstakes is we need a player who can help us win now or else people are getting fired. And that does not equate with taking a G League prospect. And hoping that in three years that guy is, you know, a competent NBA player. Um, so the likes of, you know, Houston ultimately kind of pushing outwardly, kind of beating their chest about how much they love Eamon Thompson. To me, that could be read as honest, you know, that they're transparent, that they're being truthful. It could also read as they see him as the highest upside prospect that will be available at four, and they're hoping that someone will trade up and give them a player uh, to do so. And that they, you know, there's the middle class here, like, you know, four through 15, they all kind of have the same sort of upside, uh, you know, at least in one or two skill sets that you can kind of talk yourself into. We don't mind trading down. We could still get a, a you know a project, and you know we and maybe even a bona fide player. So I think you know that that's sort of the context that I hear uh, when I hear people kind of saying, "Oh yeah, no, Amen, you know, the Rockets love Amen Thompson. This is solidifying." Like to me, at least, that sounds still like they're trying to potentially bait a trade. Um, and I think it's entirely possible they could go in a different direction if they are on the clock at four. Um, but at the same time, Amen may be the best of the, you know who's available, and they just are stuck taking making the pick, and they decide you know hey this is the uh, the safer of the two twins, so we're going to take him. Um, but there were bona fide reports that uh, that they had you know just as as good of a, a grade, if not a higher grade, on Alsar. And for what it's worth, Alsar has the more fixable shot. Um, so if he goes four, I'm not going to be surprised at all. Fifth pick again, I get the sense that the Detroit Pistons would love to get a player back, a bona fide, <laughs> as opposed to taking another project on. This Pistons team is just youth, 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 youth. No, you know, just projects everywhere. 
adding another project to the mix doesn't necessarily feel like that's what Monty Williams would really necessarily want to build in terms of vision. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to start swapping some of these projects for picks this offseason after this draft, and that may start with the pick number five. So um, would you agree that pick five is sort of the most likely to be traded? And uh, do you think that there is anyone that would come up with a specific target in mind uh, to, you know, from who would be available if Amen or Alsar goes for? Yes. Uh, I think it would be Anthony Black, and he's mm. 26 to 1 to go fifth. I think there's some 34 to 1 out there as well. Uh, Jake Fisher, in his article yesterday, uh, wrote that the Utah Jazz are uh, thinking of uh, moving up to get Anthony Black. And to do that, to move up from nine, they're going to have to jump. Well, yeah, they're going to jump Washington at eight, who will seemingly take Black if he's on the board at eight. And then they might have to jump Orlando as well at six. And so, uh, yeah, I think that that's the best bet on the board of these top five picks, um, just betting on Utah to trade up or in another team to trade up to five to block Utah, like Washington. Um, so that would be my best bet on the board. Are you hearing anything about Anthony Black? I think his floor is eight. Um, he would be an obvious fit for Washington at eight, and I think that's why his over-under at eight and a half is so juicy to the under. Um that's one where there's not a lot of there's not a lot of bets on the board that to outside of Wimby one there's not a lot of like really high likely stuff that you can dump liquidity on at the death but black under looks like one to me just because if he's available it, it's going to take a weird black swan event for some better you know some player that the the whiz rate higher available at eight uh, that they pass on black in my opinion. And I think black in general is kind of much more of sort of the archetypal, um, you know, piece, uh, you know, that, that you want to be building around if you're picking in that late, you know, late single digits range. So um, yeah, I think his backstop is eight. I think him going fifth would not shock me at all. Sixth would not shock me at all. Um even you know then and i guess seven would surprise me just if indiana is again if indiana is making that pick <laughs> like i think indiana would love a player in a trade uh you know i think basically everyone except for the magic picking six and eleven i think is entirely open to uh swapping that pick for uh you know a sign and trade type or or just you know in general like a bona fide nba starter so i think that's sort of the 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 um the whiff in the air that's driving so much of the uncertainty yep Agreed on that. All right, before we get to some baseball and golf, the Music City will be rocking with a different sound, Drew. NASCAR is back on NBC. The second half of the season heats up in Nashville, Sunday, June 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long for Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. Saka leaves his calling card. And the hope 
of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. Olympics this summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Drew started dabbling in some K props. I think. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, it's June. <laughs> uh, grass season is fun all morning, but uh, it turns out that um, grass tennis tends to, you know wrap up before lunch and so <laughs> at that point in time i've been watching some baseball um and the k props is actually pretty fun uh this is sort of you know it's it's i'm not going to get in trouble here because you can only get like you know 250 500 down on these so even if i'm like i'm i because again let's talk about process real quick built a model projecting some k props put like four into play the first day i did this uh went one and three and I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Uh, and, you know, I kind of looked through and I'm like, man, and, they were, and all four were unders. And I'm like, that's kind of weird that I popped four unders. <laughs> like, I wonder if there's like a bust here. I was like, oh, wait, I was projecting innings pitched, not batters faced. That's a huge mistake. <laughs> so you tune that up and, you know, the next day you go, oh, oh I got some winners now. Oh, yeah, I got more winners in day three and kind of continuing to build and like look at the data, see what matters. Um, and uh, without giving away the entire secret sauce, K-Prop's literally just a matter of, you know, coming up with a median projection for a K-Prop is literally a matter of expected strikeouts, which is very, very closely tied to uh, swinging strike rate. If you can create a missed pitch, then you are that much more likely to get a strikeout. Um, you do not want to rely on umpires giving you the called third strike. It's just it's it's a little bit uh, more dangerous. That those are the coin flippy situations. Uh, a swinging strike is what matters. So, uh, in terms of pitchers, your strike rate, your your swinging strike rate matters. In terms of batters, your your swinging strike strike rate is what informs uh, a projected amount of case. Um, if you can predict then batters faced and you know expected K rate per batter, uh, then you can come up with a fair price. And then the final piece of the puzzle is, well, what is a, what is a strikeout worth? It's worth about 15%. One strikeout around the median is worth about 15, 16%, depending on what the number is, which is to say, uh, if, if you see a line pop like five and a half and it's minus 137 to the over and plus 113 to the under, that means the market is technically sitting at 5.83, which is to say that, you know, you can kind of nudge the, the actual half Ks up and down to kind of get a little bit more uh, exact calculation of what your edge is. Um, and then, you know, for me at least, come up with a number, add a little qualitative layer on, like who's the umpire? What is his, you know, is, is he at the tails? Is he 
you know, is he a specially uh, aggressive strike zone or is it specially small strike zone that may lead, lean me into an under or an over. Uh, and then finally I look at lineups and then I have a handful of batters. I have about 20 batters across the MLB who are not everyday players, but if they are in, they are strikeout machines. <laughs> and so that will be the last thing that kind of pushes me either off of an under or onto an over. Um, and so today, a couple uh, that popped for me, uh, I got two unders on the card so far. One of them is uh, Taj Bradley of the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, his prop opened five and a half. It was minus 137 to the over, plus 113 to the under. That was the example I used. So uh, market saying 5.83 uh, was his fair total. I am projecting him to have 4.8 strikeouts today. So that's an under bet for me on Taj Bradley. Uh, and then uh, I played Rich Hill as well of the of your Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, his total sitting at four and a half. It was minus 147 to the over, plus 123 to the under, uh, which means market's projecting about about 5Ks. We'll say 4.95, about 5Ks. I'm projecting four. Uh, so I played his under four and a half at plus 123. Uh, and, you know, the other fun thing about this is K-Props kind of populate in the morning, you know, and it's, uh, it's a land ra- It's a land grab. Like it is a race to kind of get out there and get the best price first because these get beat up pretty fast. And uh, it's been fun kind of learning like uh, you know, just sort of the dynamics of the K-prop market before we have lineups and uh, when these numbers first go up. So I'll be kind of sprinkling these in throughout the summer just to to keep things interesting. But uh, again, for me today, I have Taj Bradley under five and a half uh, and I have Rich Hill under four and a half. I like it. Yeah, Taj Bradley is a, a proper roller coaster. I think the other game he struck out nine guys, the first nine batters, and then just completely fell off a cliff. Like, he is uh, extremely erratic. Uh, I will say, as someone who used to trade K-props, that, yeah, these prices move around violently um, from morning to close. So they're a very vulnerable market, particularly uh, particularly when they open up. So if you have an edge, um, yeah, the limits aren't going to be huge on these type of markets, but it is definitely something that can be beat. before we move off of baseball, my two bets at the moment are the San Francisco Giants should not be plus 500 to win the NL West. That should be close to plus 300. Um, market just continues to, again, violently overrate the Dodgers uh, who don't have any pitches uh, at the moment outside of Clayton Kershaw, who was magnificent last night. But uh, the Dodgers are not the team that they were have been the past few years. Um, they... They may fortify at the deadline, but they got a lot of stuff that they need to fortify. And uh, I think the Giants have been very underrated in that market. Uh, So they are the best bet on the board for me. And then the other bet, Drew, and this is a bit of a weird one um, because it might have already lost. It might have already lost before the season, before I even took the field. But I don't think Fernando Tatis should be 35-1 to to win MVP when in – uh, baseball reference war. He's already gone past Acuna playing 20 less games. Uh, I'm not sure everyone realizes this. Like, uh, It's starting to get populated now in the discourse, but Tatis has been the best defensive right fielder in baseball this year 
and he's never played right field before. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> he won the game on the weekend against the Rays with an outfield assist. He is blasting home runs. He is just the guy that he was pre-injury, pre-suspension. Uh, and if you take the steroid things out, uh, the steroid thing out, I think he would like <laughs> plus 300 to win MVP right now. Sure. The Padres being three games under 500 is the other issue there, but they're still a favorite to make the playoffs. And so the market is just baking in like a like not 100%, but like a 90, 95% certainty that voters just aren't going to vote for him because of the suspension. I don't know. I think that that's, it's likely they're not going to vote for him, but I'm not sure it's 90, 95%. I think it's more like 70% or 75%. So I think that Tatis, because there is a chance voters just look at it like, well, he's clearly the best player by margin. He served his time. Uh, he came back. He led this team to the playoffs. He's been contrite. There is a kind of a redemption story there a little bit. So I don't know. It's difficult to buy that someone's going to win MVP in a year that they serve time for a PED suspension. Yep. At the same time, I think people also don't realize that like the majority of baseball writers who are typically pretty old school, the majority of writers, they voted Bonds in to the Hall of Fame. It's just he didn't get the 75% threshold or whatever it is. So I don't know. Do you think Tatis has a chance if he's the most deserving candidate? Yeah. I mean, no one has distinguished themselves enough in the uh, in the national league uh and is healthy um so that looks completely stealable to me um my major takeaway from your whole breakdown so far though is i bet a little dodgers to miss the playoffs before the season yeah. started and that looked dead but i think they are might miss yeah the west is good <laughs> the diamondbacks have overperformed but they're good the giants are good the padres might catch a little bit of heat uh, Dodgers could finish fourth uh, in the West, which would be amazing. Yeah, I think they're probably around plus 500 fair to miss the playoffs. So certainly live, and that's certainly a better price than what you would have bet before the season. So yeah, they they don't have any pitches outside of Kershaw. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, it gets really, really ugly. And the bottom of the lineup also is pretty flawed too. So Dodgers very vulnerable. Uh, let's talk about the Open Championship to finish Ooh. off. Uh, Snake Vitten, Rory McIlroy, star-crossed, is the favorite at 8-1. to one. Uh, Shorter than the immortal Scotty Scheffler, who I believe now, Scotty Scheffler has finished top 12 in his past 17 starts consecutively. It's completely insane. John Rahm, 9-1. to one. Uh, Brooks Koepka, 12-1. to one. Wouldn't touch that. Uh, and then the names keep trickling along to you get to uh, last year's winner, my countryman, Cam Smith, mm. uh, who might have turned the corner a little bit. Uh, do you have any early bets on the Open? And do you agree that Rory should be the favorite? Uh, no, I think it should definitely be Scotty Scheffler. Um, I don't really get the, I mean, I, I get it. Like Rory is the fan favorite and he see him do well in one major and you're immediately, everybody runs and bets him for the next one, I guess. Um, but Scheffler has been playing better golf all season by far. And he looks to have solved a little bit of the issues he's had with the putters. So, uh, I think he should be probably about the same price he went off for the U S open. Um, I don't have a great breakdown of the open. I haven't been winning money on golf this year. I've been losing money on golf this year. So I'm a little kind of gun shy to get too crazy. 
crazy. And I had eyes for Cam Smith because, you know, just in general, I liked the way that the course set up for him uh, and sort of the where it fell on the calendar in terms of his ultimate progression this season. Um, but 18 to 1 doesn't look bettable. I wanted him in the 20s and now it's gone. So it's uh, for me, at least, I don't really know where to go here. The only thing I can help add a little bit of color to this is um, it's been hot in the UK this summer. And it has not rained very much. And I don't see that changing at all between now and when they can test the open. Uh, so you could get, this could be like all time wild, uh, uh, you know, brown course, fast greens, uh, you know, and it's, so it's just some, some, some tricky uh, conditions uh, for Lynx golf. And, um, you know, to the degree you want to cross off some U.S. players because of that, I think that's completely fine. <laughs> and that may narrow down your field a little bit. Um, but this is going to be kind of extreme links golf by the way that the weather looks going between now and the, uh, the kicking off of the tournament. Yeah. Wyndham clock as well. It's the other name that we should mention. He's 35 to one. <laughs> uh, and he might just be the best golf from the world now. Who knows? Uh, Wyndham clock. It's uh, yeah. Never heard of him. Open and, uh, and got it done. Uh, anyone else, any other kind of golfers that you're paying attention to um, leading up to the Open, or is it largely the guys at the top of the list? Yeah, I think we're still kind of in this cycle where um, I guess it's, I guess I can't really say that because what was Wyndham Clark going into the U.S. Open? 100 to 1? So, yeah, crazy, crazy number like that. Yeah, I didn't think we lived in a world where somebody outside of the top you know, top 20 uh, had a realistic shot to put together four good rounds, but apparently we do. Um, I guess I'm, I'm not going to use one, uh, a single sample uh, to guide my thinking on that uh, and continue to kind of you know, monitor things here. But um, I still think we're in a pretty top heavy part, you know, top heavy time uh, on the PGA tour. Yep. And uh, I agree with you. I think Scotty Scheffler until he uh, doesn't finish top 12 at every single tournament that he starts. I think he should just be the favorite uh, at every tournament for the foreseeable. All right, we are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSportsEdge.com for more information to help you with your wages. Good luck betting on the draft. Uh, it is a tumultuous night, um, but it can be a profitable one. Those markets are quite vulnerable, so good luck betting on that, and we will see you next week. <laughs>